like to be uh, following along in your own devotions this week, uh, following on from uh, this first chapter. This one's a bit of a doozy. It's got a few, one of those old, one of those chapters with a few Old Testament names in it, John. So thank you for uh, stepping up and doing this one for us. It's John chapter one, um, Daniel chapter one. That's so good. Read by John. <laughs> good morning, I'll get everyone. Daniel to read John chapter one next week. Uh, this morning's reading is from <laughs> Daniel chapter one, verses uh, one to 21. Daniel's training in Babylon. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure house, put the treasures in his house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He wanted to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Sadrach, to Mishael, Mesach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel did not want to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, 
he found them ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. John. The Roman historian Suetonius described Christians as a different species, a completely different genus, a completely different beast to the rest of the Roman world. Suetonius thought that these, these weird followers of Jesus who followed this this carpenter from, from Palestine who, who named him as Lord rather than as Caesar. He said they are completely foreign, not just weird, not just kind of a little bit different, a different species, a completely different genus is how the ancient Roman historian Suetonius describes those followers of Jesus from those first few centuries of the Christian church's life. He, he said they were foreigners more than that, a different species because they were so completely and thoroughly different. They acknowledged Jesus as Lord at a time when you were supposed to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. You see, every time you and I acknowledge Jesus as Lord, it's a very political statement. I think in Australia in 2021, we lose the power because back then declaring Jesus as Lord was a direct affront to the power of Caesar himself. Caesar longed to be worshipped as, as a god. So declaring, no, no, Caesar isn't my lord. Jesus is my lord. Wow. You could pay for your life declaring that sort of stuff. Those early Christians were completely undomesticated, completely untamed. In fact, they went to their death in front of untamed wild beasts in the Roman Colosseums, declaring Jesus as their Lord and as their Saviour. And did you know that the Bible describes followers of Jesus as exiles? You are an exile. You're a foreigner, a stranger in a strange land. Various translations would call us aliens. Not aliens in terms of little green men, but aliens in terms of a, a, a non-resident. Someone from, from far away. Peter describes us as, as aliens, that we live in another place, that this world is not our home. So don't get too comfortable here. As a follower of Jesus, we are but passing through this world. This is the challenge of the book of, of Daniel. Daniel is a wonderful inspiration for us to teach us that our citizenship does not belong here on earth. He's a wonderful inspiration to we Aussies to say, although we might have an Aussie passport in our back pocket that hopefully we'll get to use again soon, ultimately my Aussie passport isn't the most valuable thing to me. As valuable and as, and as helpful as it is to me, one day I will give up my Aussie passport. One day when I meet my maker and I no longer need my Aussie passport, I'm hoping that my other passport, my passport in Christ, will take me to eternity. Daniel is a wonderful inspiration to us of someone who knew not just who he was, but whose he was, despite being taken as a teenager to a, effectively another planet, another world. He stood firm, refused to be cowed into submission to the culture of his time, 
refused to be drawn in, refused to renounce his faith in the one true God of heaven and earth. So over the next few weeks, friends, we're going to be challenging ourselves to remain untamed, uncaged, to not let ourselves be, to become declawed as followers of Jesus Christ. Because if you think coming to church and being a Christian is all about being a nice, polite, good person, I'm sorry. You've come to the wrong church. You've called the wrong minister. Following Jesus Christ should be an adventure. It's radical. You'll be flying in the face of the culture around us from time to time, increasingly so as a matter of fact in the modern Western world. That is my hope over the coming weeks. My challenge to you as all is to remain uncompromising in our stand for Christ, unyielding in our struggle against the powers and principalities of this world, unashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified, untamed in our ferocious willingness to share Jesus with our world. Friends, why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we embark on this journey through the book of Daniel, we, we acknowledge that we need your help to understand that there are parts that will seem strange to us. There are parts that we can't fully comprehend or understand. So, Father, we pray that you might reveal yourself to us through the pages of this book, through the pages of this piece of Scripture. Father, we pray that you might give us ears to hear. Father, we pray that you might make us open, supple to learn, to allow ourselves to be challenged. We pray that we might be inspired, that we might be encouraged in our faith over the coming weeks to, to be Daniels in our own context in 21st century Australia. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the people said... Well, friends, the year is about 605 BC, six centuries before the time of Christ. And Babylon is now the world power. If you know the story of your Old Testament, you'll know that the, the kingdom of Israel tragically splits in two after the glorious times of King David, at which point Israel was actually, for a brief moment in history, the world, the dominant power in the Middle East. And then his son Solomon took over and it was a, a wonderful, mighty, a wealthy kingdom. Sadly, towards the end of, of Solomon's reign, he, he goes a bit soft and is drawn away from worshipping the one true God and, and allows himself to be drawn to, to worldly loves, into idolatry. And, and sadly, the kings that, that follow, follow in that footsteps. And, and God sends prophet after prophet to warn them, saying, don't do this. Don't go there. Remain true to me and you will live long in the land flowing with, with milk and honey. But if you know the story, it's a tragic tale of over and over again, the people turning their backs on God. And he, he sends a warning to them time and time again saying, if you do this, this will be bad news for you. You'll be cast out. You'll be taken into slavery. Every once in a while, they would repent and come back to their first love. But again, they would turn away. And eventually, the kingdom splits into two. The northern ten tribes of the original 12 are taken into captivity by the Assyrians in the year 722 BC. The southern kingdom of Judah, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, collectively known as the nation of Judah, hang on for a little bit longer with a series of good and bad kings. But eventually... Tragically, they too turn away from God, turn towards idolatry. And God 
uh, is disciplining his children by allowing the Babylonians to conquer. The Babylonians are here, they are at the door, and they have conquered Judah. Can you imagine the tragedy? I mean, just imagine what, how we would feel. An invading army sailing up Sydney Harbour, breaking down our doors and taking our sons. That's what happens in the opening couple of verses of Daniel. They take the best and the brightest. We're told that they take the cream of the crop. The Babylonians come and conquer Jerusalem three times. There's three different exiles over a span of about 20 years. This is the very first one when Daniel and his mates are taken. There's a second one about eight years later where the prophet Ezekiel and King Jehoiakim himself are taken into exile. And then there's another, a final and a, and a third exile when the Babylonians come and completely destroy Jerusalem. They raise the, the temple to the ground. The very center of Jewish life is destroyed. All hope is gone and they are taken into Babylon, into exile in modern-day Iraq. You can still go find the ruins of this, modern, of this ancient city uh, it's on the banks of the river Euphrates. In fact, the Babylonians uh, at this point were the, probably the most uh, populous city in the world, home to the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon. They actually diverted the river Euphrates through the city at one point. Very advanced civilization. They come and they take the, the, the cream of, of the crop at this point. This is our story at the moment. They take, our, they take the sons. Can you imagine? I mean, as a... As a father of teenage sons now, I'm beginning to imagine how heartbreaking this must have been. By the way, we can only imagine what was happening to the teenage girls at this point. But they take the strength of the Jewish nation, an invading army, a conquering army. At a time when might was right, remember, they just felt they had the right to do this. They would come and enslave the men, and he, the king wanted to take the very best and the brightest of, of Jewish society and take them back into Babylon for himself. Can you imagine losing your the future hope, the next generation are coming through uh, and being your strength. Your young men are your, your strength. Now, my last congregation got all of my baby anecdotes. You'll get my teenage parenting anecdotes. And now I'm at the point where Sebastian's taller than me. He can reach things that I can't. Elijah's eyeballing me now. And, and, and I'm relying on my sons now to help me do physical stuff. Can you imagine losing... Your teenage sons, the best and the brightest, imagine the wailing in Jerusalem that night. Heartbreaking. Devastation. God is disciplining his children at this point. The first little thing that I want you to see, however, is a little phrase you might not have picked up there in, in, in verse 2. It says that, that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar comes and, and he gave King Jehoiakim into his hand. Despite the devastation, despite the loss, despite the national tragedy, God is at work. Kings come and go. Empires come and go. We see the news presidents and prime ministers and emperors and chancellors. They make their plans and they send their armies, but God is at work behind it all. It says God delivered him. God delivered Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. This was God's doing. Do you sometimes feel as though your life is out of control, that you're at the mercy of forces beyond your control? I know I, I certainly do. 
We look at the troubles of the world. We look at the terrors of the world, and we think, what can I do? We feel so helpless. But this is a little word of encouragement straight off the bat here. Despite all of that, despite all of the chaos, despite all of the pain and all of the suffering, please, friend, know that God is at work, working behind the scenes. There's two viewpoints of history. There's our very limited viewpoint of history, and then there's God's. He is from everlasting to everlasting, and now is but a chapter. Now is but a little slice of time. So be encouraged. God is at work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That's the first little piece of, of good news here in the midst of this, this natural, this, this tragedy, that God is at work. But Daniel and his mates uh, were very young men, probably just teenagers, they say, and they are taken. They were the best and the brightest. They were good-looking young lads. Uh, they were the, the, the very top of their class, much like many of you were, I'm sure, back in the day. Uh, there's no squeezing zits for half an hour for young Daniel. He's a good-looking young lad, a straight-A student. But sadly, he is one of the boys that is, is taken to go into captivity. It's about a 700-mile journey, effectively another planet, a different world. He's immersed in a foreign culture. He is immersed in a completely pagan culture. Remember at this point, the Israelites must have been thinking, oh, we've been here before, taken into captivity, taken into slavery. They must have, their minds must have gone back to Egypt, mustn't it? If you know your Old, Old Testament history, you'll know that, that, that they were, Israelites became very numerous in Egypt and Pharaoh treated them harshly, didn't he? When they were in captivity in Egypt, before Moses liberated them, many, many generations before our events today, we know that Pharaoh treated them very badly and very harshly. But what was the result of all that harsh treatment? The Israelites continued to flourish in the land. Despite all of the oppression, despite the whipping, despite the slavery, the, the Hebrews actually increased in number to such a point that Pharaoh was threatened. It's always the way for the church, by the way. It's always the way. Whenever the church is oppressed, whenever it is threatened, the church actually thrives under a little bit of oppression. It does make me wonder if perhaps a little bit of oppression today might not be such a bad thing for the church in Australia today. Nebuchadnezzar, however, has a different plan. He's a little bit more cunning than old Pharaoh. Nebuchadnezzar uses a different approach to try to subdue these Hebrews. Rather than using whips and hard labour, he throws open the door of luxury to these young boys. He brings them into his own academy, the king's academy. It must have been the fanciest school, the fanciest finishing school and university in the city. And indeed, given that it's Babylon, probably the entire known world at that point in time. Rather than trying to subdue them by force, King Nebuchadnezzar has a far more subtle way of bringing them into the fold of Babylonian life gives them everything. He lets them dine at the king's table. Friend, if you were eating at the king's table, the king of Babylon, you were eating as well as any human being on the planet at the time. Incredible luxury. Incredible wonder. We're told that, that these young boys are instructed in all the ways of, of Babylonian culture. They are effectively being indoctrinated. They are being assimilated into Babylonian culture. Forget your old way. I mean, that, your old God, the king, of, the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, I mean, he's, he's defeated. 
He's, I mean, whose, whose treasures are in whose temple now? The pressure for these boys to conform and to jettison their prior faith in God must have been huge. It must have been a case of, oh, well, your faith might have been helpful for you for a, a, once upon a time, but now we know it's rather antiquated and a little bit backward. That that sort of faith, forget that now. You're, you're now an enlightened Babylonian. Let it go, forget about it, become one of us. And remember, this is a time, like throughout most of history, when might equals right. Not just because you can, but there would have been a sense of belief that, that if you were powerful and strong and if you were the conqueror, then somehow the gods looked favourably upon you. It was a sign of God's favour that might actually really equal right. So it would have been so easy for these young men to say, oh, maybe... Maybe my God is a fake, a fraud, too weak to really help me. Been defeated by these Babylonian gods. They're even given new names, these boys. Okay, Daniel's name is changed. And again, the the change to the names you want to go back and read in your own time are significant. Uh, Daniel's name is honouring to God and is actually now an honouring to the the Babylonian god uh, Nebo. So it's Nebo, protect the crown. So they have their very names changed. The very essence of who they are is assaulted by Babylonian culture. Assimilation, indoctrination into a pagan culture. I reckon this is where many of us are at today with Aussie culture. Don't you reckon this is where the church is at today in the 21st century? We've never had an invading army sail up Sydney Harbour and storm into our churches, storm into our our homes. The church has never really been oppressed. The church in this country since white settlement has always really been more or less well respected in in Australia. It's been easy over the years as as our cultures become more and more affluential, gotten more and more toys to play with. We don't really need this Jesus fella, do we? It's the same very subtle, alluring away to just forget about your faith, to lose your zeal, to lose your identity in Christ, to know who you really are. It's an open invitation rather than force of gunpoint, an invitation. Come and enjoy all that the world has to give. Forget about that church thing on Sunday. Yeah, you can be a Christian and you can, but, but come out with us. Forget, you don't need church on Sunday. Plenty wonderful things happening out here on a Sunday. Lots of other things to distract us. Lots of other things to consume us. Not necessarily bad things. Quite often very good things. Friend, don't allow the good to rob you of what is best for you in Christ. Aussie Babylon is our challenge today. But our inspiration comes in verse 8, if you've got it open in front of you. Verse 8 is where the rest of the book of Daniel hinges upon, what it depends upon. We read in verse 8 that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Daniel took a stand. We're not really sure why food and wine was a thing on which Daniel took his stand. Probably because the royal food would have been dedicated to pagan gods. So at this point, Daniel decides this far and and no more. Then he says, I'm I'm taking my stand here. I'm I'm not going to immerse myself 
in pagan culture. I'm going to remain distinctive. I'm going to remain set apart. You know that, uh, that old preacher's analogy of a frog slowly brought to the boil in hot water? Have you heard that, this one before? I don't actually know that it's true, right? I think if you slowly boil a frog, it will jump out. But for those of you that haven't heard it, there's an old preacher's analogy that goes, if you drop a frog into some hot water, it'll quickly jump out. But if you bring a frog slowly to the boil, it won't notice what's happening and it will be boiled alive. The obvious, sort of anal- the obvious point here is to be aware of the culture that we are immersed in, to be aware of the many ways we are making retreats every day, that we are making compromises in all sorts of little ways. Well, Daniel draws the line here and it stands him in good stead for down the track. If you know the story of Daniel, as I'm sure you all do, he makes a stand now. A farmer reaps what he has sown months earlier. So too it is with our Christian walk. What are you sowing in your life now? Have you taken a stand? Where do you need to say to the world this far and no further? I'm not going to allow you into my brain anymore. We have Netflix account at our house, as I'm sure many of you do. There are points at which I just cannot watch anymore. Some of the nonsense that comes is pumping into our house. It's very hard to watch. The pagan culture and the filth that is pumped into our homes, I have to turn away. I do not want that stuff in my brain. It's going to be different for each of us. Where is it for you? Where are you deciding to draw the line and saying, I belong to God, not to this world, so I'm going to take a stand here and now. So he asks is the other little piece in verse, and a little word that you might not have picked up on on the way through. Daniel resolves. It's a very, that word, by the way, is a, is a strong word. Daniel resolves in his heart. It's a heart decision. He decides that he will not go any further. It's not just a, a happenstance. He makes a firm decision, and he asks the chief official. He's respectful. What I like about this passage was actually pointed out uh, to us in our men's group uh, by uh, Roger. It was an inspiration for this series. Daniel and his mates didn't fight at every opportunity. They didn't arc up every time. They weren't contentious. They weren't picking a fight. Daniel and these young men earned the respect of the Babylonian culture. They won the respect of those around them. He asked for permission to do things a little bit differently. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. And 16, Proverbs 16, 21 says, The sweetness of speech increases effectiveness. How about that one? The sweetness of speech increases effectiveness. Daniel was both resolute and respectful. There's a lesson there for, for each of us. We go on to read that Daniel's made his decision and, and we read that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, not their real names, of course, they've had their names changed, but they too are, are strengthened. Again, this is why church is so important. There's safety in numbers. There is strength in numbers. Daniel's decision to stand firm encourages his mates. It's so important to be here in fellowship. We can't do it on your own. I'm always telling the people as gently as I can who give me all manner of excuses about why they 
They, they, they're, they're believing God, they're a Christian, but they can't come to church. You can't do it on your own. You need the love and the support and the encouragement and the correction of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So what ends up happening is that Daniel is faithful in this small thing, and towards the end of the chapter, it actually jumps ahead in time. If you have a look in verse uh, 20, we'll read that it actually gives us a sneak peek into the future. Daniel's little uh, commitment paid off. He didn't lose any of his fitness. He obviously was completely buff because he looked better and stronger and fitter than all the other young men in Babylon. And so his faithfulness is repaid by a faithful God. And so some 70 years later, we read Daniel, taken as a teenage boy, is still serving in the courts of the Babylonians until the time of King Cyrus. Cyrus was not the next king. Four kings have gone while Daniel has been serving. So to jump ahead to the end of the story, Daniel's effectiveness, Daniel's witness, Daniel's influence outlasts that of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel serves through Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Belshazzar's reign, King Darius, and finally the great King Cyrus. Cyrus the Great, one of the great conquerors in history, one of the great Persian kings. Daniel's influence lasted until such time that the Babylonian Empire gave way to the Persian Empire. Such was the influence of this man on his culture. Such was the respect that he had within his culture. I would love for us at Church in the Marketplace to have that similar sort of an influence, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be great to be known in our city, in our community, as men and women who are respected, who are, who are known and respected, who stand for truth, but who do so with great grace and dignity and respect. Let's not fall into the trap of being the angry Christian, of being the finger-wagging Christian. Let's stand firm, but do so with great grace, like Daniel did as well. Let's be known in our city as valuable members of, of our city, of our nation. I look around this beautiful space, this fantastic resource we have, built for amateur theatre, and, and I think of uh, John and Marion Morrison's uh, work in here with the Amateur Theatre Society. I don't, wasn't even here for it, but I feel as though I know it. And wouldn't it be great if we could do something similar? We don't have to do the same thing again. Wouldn't it be great to have this space filled with, for example, a, a Christian film festival? Who knows? I'd love to hear your ideas. Come to me. How can we be influencing our culture for Christ? Our church council has just started, begun considering how we might be able to find a space for a studio, for a recording studio, for the online world, to record albums, to record podcasts, YouTube channels. Who knows what God might be willing to do through us with this marvelous facility that he has blessed us with. Let's be like Daniel, having an influence in our culture, not being like a thermometer that rises and falls with the culture, blown this way and that with whoever the prevailing wind. Let's be a, a thermostat that sets the level, that influences the environment around us. Can God trust you to be faithful in the little things? It's a pattern throughout Scripture, isn't it? If you're faithful in the little things like Daniel was with his diet, he's entrusted with great things down the track. Daniel and his mates commend themselves in every way and God uses them mightily.
want to leave you, of course, with the many ways in which Daniel points us towards Jesus himself. Daniel is shot through with prophecies about the coming Christ, about the Messiah. See, Jesus too was like Daniel, that he too came to a foreign land. Jesus exited his heavenly home to come and live as one of us, as one of you and I. He too was away from his heavenly home. He too was sent to another world. He too commended himself and and was able to love and to serve because he knew whose he was, not just who he was, but whose he was, who he belonged to. Jesus was able to humble himself and wash his disciples' feet because he was confident and he knew who he was. Jesus was also sorely tested, wasn't he, by Satan. He too was tempted to to just give in to the ways of the world. He was tempted before, before his ministry even began. Throw yourself down and not a Your foot won't strike the stone. Bow down to me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus says, no. I'm drawing a line in the sand, he says. I'm not living for my own glory, but for my Father's. And finally, a little illusion. Can't prove it. But many scholars will tell you that, in fact, we do give a little nod to Daniel every Christmas time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Whenever we go to carols in the domain or carols by candlelight and we sing, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar. You know the one? We know they're not really kings. What were they? They were magi, weren't they? Wise men, probably uh, astrologers. Where were they from? From the east. From the east. Scholars think, well, how on earth had... (laughs) How on earth did this Eastern pagan culture, hundreds of miles away, what what were they doing looking for a Jewish king? What were they doing looking to the stars? What were they doing looking for signs of a coming Messiah? You can't prove it, but you'd have to think that Daniel is probably the key. Over a period of 65, 70 years, sowing into the culture, he was so well respected. He was greatest among all of the king's sorcerers and musicians. Maybe, just maybe, it was Daniel's influence that hundreds of years later, that culture was still on the lookout for a Jewish king, a Jewish Messiah, a coming king, the king of kings and lord of lords. So can I encourage you this week, friends, to to dare to do mighty things, to, to dare to be untamed, to dare to not let yourselves be immersed in a culture to such an extent that your faith becomes just meaningless, undistinctive. You lose your saltiness, lose the light. I'll leave you with a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, one of my famous, he was an American president. He's the guy with the horse with the specks you'll see in uh, Night in the Museum. You know the one I'm talking about? He was a rugged outdoorsman and a keen environmentalist, by the way. He's very quotable. He said, far better, far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither suffer much nor enjoy much because they live in a grey twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. 
Let's not be content with the status quo, friends. Let's not be content to just go with the flow, for that is a life of insignificance. Let's conform no longer to the pattern of this world, as Paul says in Romans. Let's be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's be a community of distinctiveness, an untamed community that is ferocious in our desire to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we seek your help. We again pray for the help of your Holy Spirit to empower us, to equip us for this work that you've given to us. Father, we desire to be like Daniel in our own age, standing firm, uncompromising, unyielding. When the waves of culture come and call us, when they try to wash us away, Father, help us to stand firm. Help us to know where we can draw the line. Help us to know where we can be effective. Help us to know where we can be an influence in our culture, to have affluence, Father, where we are. Help us to be like Daniel, unyielding, unflinching, standing firm for your truth with great grace, with great boldness and great courage. In Jesus' name, amen.